What is up, sons and daughters? This is Sam Jesse coming to you with the crew from the Locks of Saturday. I got Chris, I got Robert, I got Brett, I got Ed. And guys, that was a really, really rough week eight. It, that Last week was week eight, correct? I'm getting them all mixed up now. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I don't really remember, honestly. It was kind of a bore. Okay, well, the Easy. article up on sonsofsaturday.com says we are at week nine. So we're going to go with that. We are moving on to week nine. It was bad, bad weekend for Virginia Tech, bad weekend for the crew from Locks of Saturday. But we do have some interesting games coming up here and some top 25 games. And I think some that could shape the college football playoff picture. And I'm not talking about Ohio State versus Penn State. I am talking about Memphis plus seven at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a top 10 team. They are looking good. Had a good win against Southern Methodist last week. And I don't know, guys, are we ready to talk playoff conversation for Cincinnati if they can get by a pesky, high-scoring Memphis team? Ed, you have the Bearcats minus seven at home. Uh, talk to us about Cincinnati. They really proved their, themselves last week. That was a good win. Um, they beat SMU pretty easily. Uh, it's the same SMU team that beat Memphis earlier in the year. Um, I can't see Memphis giving up, you know, enough points to, you know, stay in this one. Um, they give up a lot of points, and Cincinnati's defense is actually surprisingly good statistically, um, you know, for a conference that scores a lot of points in general. So I just think Cincinnati's defense will be able to, um, you know, hold off Memphis and continue that, you know, potential quest for the playoff, which would be a pretty cool story if they were to pull it off. Yeah, and I think if there's any year for that to happen, this would be the year, right? The American has kind of been playing since the beginning. And although they might not be as top-heavy with uh, Central Florida and Memphis not being as good as they um, you know, have been in the past, they are still playing a pretty challenging schedule. So Robert, Chris, Brett, you guys all have Cincinnati minus seven as well. Does anyone feel particularly strongly about the Bearcats? Anything you should give the people? I think um, when you look at, at Cincinnati thus far, and the analytics would tell you that they actually haven't really been playing like the number seven team in the country. Um, their defense has been unbelievable, but their offense had been really you know stagnant for the first few games until you know Desmond Ritter and the rest of that team came alive against SMU, scoring 42. I mean, Ritter had a 97.6 QBR four touchdowns, no turnovers. And I really think this was kind of a coming out party for Cincinnati. Um, they've always had the defense. They have one of the best defenses in the country. And I think that given the effort that Ritter put together last week, I think that they carry that into this week. And I really don't think it's close. Um, I think, I don't think Memphis will be able to slow them down. Yeah. I think when you look at just, Preparation wise, this is just a tale of two different teams getting up ready for a big game. Um, Luke Fickle has that program humming right now. In fact, he's probably going to be involved in every single offseason kind of coaching uh, hot seat discussion because he's going to be a pretty uh, big commodity um, when you start seeing some of these vacancies that will start showing up. And considering that Memphis just on the road as uh, an away underdog, um, 0-7 against the spread since post-Fuente. So Fuente left, and every time they try to get up for a big game from Memphis, they fall flat. 
because they lose by an average scoring margin of 17 points. I just don't see that type of team going on the road and beating a fleeted up Cincinnati team, uh, especially since the spread is only a score. So I, I would definitely roll with Desmond Ritter. He's coming off last week. I think he was the uh, national offensive player of the week. Uh, they just seem to be kind of headed in the right direction. Yeah, I second all those opinions. It's pretty much just comes down to an explosive offense against the average subpar defense. And I think the Bearcats will just get it by two scores or more. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm playing the role of dissenter here. Uh, I, I got Memphis, and here's why. I think Memphis is a pretty underrated team. Yeah, they do have the lost SMU, but it was close. They came back and showed a lot of heart coming off that uh, tough loss. Came back and beat UCF. Took care of a really good Temple team last week by, I think it was like 12 points or something. And yeah, they can score. They have the ninth best passing offense in the nation. They have the 23rd best rushing offense in the nation. They're scoring almost 39 points a game. Uh, I, I think they can score enough points to keep this one close. And I think if you're Memphis, you want to go out there and play fast, fast football. Don't let Cincinnati you know, kind of suffocate you with that defense like they have um, with the other teams in the Americans. So I think Memphis is going to keep this close. I still think Cincinnati wins, but I, I don't see this being a blowout. I, I think Memphis comes ready to play. They've been a team that's shown a lot of heart this year. So uh, give me the Tigers plus seven. And we will keep it in the great state of Ohio. Well, actually, no. Uh, their game's at Penn State. It's whiteout, isn't it? Or is it? does it really count as a whiteout if it's not a sellout game? No, it's not going to matter anyway. Ooh, Brett's saying it doesn't matter. Okay, Ohio State minus 12 at Penn State. Penn State coming off the loss to Indiana. Ohio State winning by God knows how many points. Um, who do they even play? Who Does it even matter? Nebraska? They it was played Nebraska. Nebraska. It was Thank you. Essentially, the uh, I think the seventh year it feels like of the Adrian Martinez era and, and Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yeah, they um, Ohio State just loves beating up on the little guys at college football like Nebraska. So minus twelve at Penn State, Brett. You seem super passionate about this one. Yeah, I mean, Penn State lost to an unranked team last week, and they looked like they were just fought out unprepared all week. While Ohio State obviously looked like they're a well-oiled machine. Um, let's be real. The Big Ten only has a, in reality, a few weeks to get it done to try to get in the playoff. And the only team that's really going to look like that's going to get there is Ohio State. So they're going to try to go out and just absolutely destroy everybody. And I think this game is going to come as one of those, as one of those games where they destroy somebody. Um, obviously it's going to be hard for not full capacity to white out to really, I guess, make Ohio State off their game. So I think the Buckeyes are big here. I think they make a statement just to keep their spot in the top four. Yeah, I think that's a great point because all of the times where I picture Penn State playing really well against the big boys and winning games is at home, packed out crowd, night game, and they come away with a win. I feel like as a program, they really feed off of the big time night game national TV. Um, I wonder what that's like to have a program where they win the big national TV games at night. Must be nice. But hey, they don't have that. They don't have that this week. They'll have some fans in the stands, I'm sure. And um, I'm sure there'll still be the energy around the game. But I think Ohio State goes in there with 
a offense that is, I'm going to say just as talented and as good as the LSU offense was last year. I mean, you look at the guys they have, they, they can score 40 plus against anybody they play this year. Would not be surprised if they do. Um, you could give me Ohio State by three touchdowns. I still might take it just because I think they're so much better. Uh, Penn State lost to a basketball school. Uh, I do not think this was the team that they envisioned in Happy Valley. Not as talented. Um, and they've had some attrition in the offseason. So give me Ohio State minus 12. I feel pretty confident about this one. Ed, Robert, you guys both have Ohio State minus 12 as well. Right. I think that it kind of comes down to, I don't know, I don't think Penn State, I'm not going to go ahead and write them off. I mean, I think that they're still a really solid team with a lot of talent. Um, <clears throat> but I think it really just comes down to just how good Ohio State is. And I think if you look at the kind of the scale of college football as a whole, I really think now that the Big Ten is, at least for now, they're up and going. Um, who knows what will happen with Wisconsin. But um, it's Clemson and it's Ohio State right now, and it's those two teams are going to be talked about a lot, and those two teams are going to be the top contenders for the title, um, and you're going to hear a lot about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields competing for the Heisman. Like all of it, it's just setting up for these two teams to be, you know, duking it out. And <clears throat> with that said, I think those two teams are far and away better than everyone else. Um, and the same way that Clemson is just running through the ACC that their worst game thus far is a 20-some-odd-point win against Syracuse, like Ohio State is going to have that same kind of run in the Big Ten. Um, they're just going to dominate team after team. And I think Penn State is just the next step on that path to just pure domination leading to this culmination, culminating matchup, hopefully, in the title game between Clemson and Ohio State. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, as I said in the article, James Franklin is a pretender. Uh, the, this rears its head every year with Penn State. They're highly ranked. They're highly ranked. They beat up on some teams early in the year, and they have this one epic collapse. This year, they just decided to get it out of the way so that no one gets their hopes up. So that was actually super helpful. I appreciate that, James Franklin. Um, I'd really appreciate it as well if Virginia Tech could stop losing recruits to him because he's just not hes not it. Um, Ryan Day, on the other hand, is legit. Uh, all he's done since – taking over for urban Myers, just win, 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 and continue to win. And I agree with what Irby just said. I, I might even take it a step further. I think Ohio state might be the best team in the country. And I think Justin Fields might be the best player in the country. Um, it was super upsetting as a Washington football team fan to watch them win the other day and slowly inch their way out of the Justin Fields conversation. Cause that kid is a freak and he might actually be better than Trevor Lawrence, but um, I think Ohio state wins and wins big. They're just going to beat up on everybody and, you know, continue to make their case in their shortened season to be in the playoff as a hopefully one or two seed and that eventual matchup with Clemson that I think um, is how this season should probably end. They're two incredibly talented teams. So uh, I'll go Ohio State here pretty easily. Yeah, Chris, you're the you're the one guy who has Penn State here at plus 12. And I will say plus 12 is a big number, even coming off the lost Indiana. Who Indiana, like, yeah, it's a basketball school, but they're a pretty good team this year, and they've gotten a lot of off-season hype, especially compared to what Indiana usually gets in terms of off-season hype. So it's not a it's not a great loss by any means for Penn State, but it wasn't to an FCS team or anything. They they played a good in-conference opponent. So uh, give us why Penn State's going to keep this one close. 
Yeah, this this kind of feels like uh, the you know, let's not overreact week one type of matchup. So uh, if you looked at that Indiana Penn State loss, uh, I believe Indiana, um, excuse me, Penn State was actually up what seven points uh, late in the fourth quarter. I think it was like about a minute or so left on the clock. In fact, that touchdown to go ahead, um, I think it was our our, our boy Devin Ford was a. Uh, essentially untackled, uh, just ignored, uh, just because that's what Indiana wanted them to do. They wanted them to score to get the ball back. And there was some late game clock mismanagement. Uh, James Franklin not going for two. There was just a lot of comedy of errors in that last portion of the game that led to it. And also, it seemed like over the last few years, Indiana, early in the season, always had one game where they were just so close to beating a top-ranked team, including, I think, Ohio State a couple times there as well. So... I just feel like if you looked at this line before this matchup even started, it was about a touchdown. And then when the Penn State game uh, happened, it bumped up to, I think, about as high as about 13, 13 and a half, and has since come back down to 12. So I just feel like I'm getting free points that weren't there beforehand, before everybody started reacting. And if you look at their head-to-head, they have, I think it's a 10-point total scoring differential combined. So if you include the Penn State win and the previous Ohio State wins combined, this is usually a pretty narrow game. So I'm just going with the history, uh, all the other kind of weird COVID nuances aside with no fans, home games, stuff like that. I just feel like you just have to go with Ohio State is a better program, but Penn State's not that far off when it comes to talent on the field. So I'll take the points, the extra points in this one and just kind of roll with the value. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad pick at all. Um, I think Penn State will be up for that game. But, uh, you know, it's I, I still think Ohio State is just scary, scary good on offense to keep with the Halloween theme that we'll see this weekend, I'm sure. Uh, I'm really excited to see what graphics ESPN has for college football on Halloween day. All right, let's move on to our next game. We have Kansas State Wildcats plus three and a half at the West Virginia Mountaineers. Two teams I think have been quietly better this year than last year and two pretty darn coaches as well. Uh, Ed, we'll get to you. You have West Virginia minus three and a half playing at home. Yeah, I think um, you know playing at home is definitely helpful even though I mean, they got the three points, I guess, for home if they're still really doing that this year with you know no crowds and stuff. But I like what this West Virginia team has done so far this year in the direction they're heading. Um, it's but they're probably still a year, you know, a year away from really being you know somewhat of contenders in terms of the conference and back to kind of what they were before uh, Holgerson left. But the defense that West Virginia has this year has been very uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic for them. Uh, they're only giving up 261 yards per game, which in that conference is a pretty low number. Um, so I like them to be able to kind of contain that Kansas State offense and put up enough points to, you know, cover and win this game. Um, it is unfortunate that West Virginia is getting good again, considering we play them early next season uh, in Morgantown. So hopefully they're not too good by then, but I like them in this one. So, Yeah, you know, I think that's a good point also to bring up is that, you know, they're getting better it almost seems like each and every game and defensively, especially that uh, West Virginia has never been good at defense. And you know, what they're starting to build there now is a little more reminiscent. I think of the older big East West Virginia teams that were at points challenging to get to a national title game. Robert, you have Kansas state plus three and a half 
Actually, Robert, Chris, and Brett, you guys all have Kansas State plus three and a half. What makes you think the Wildcats can go into Morgantown and get a win? You know, it's it seems odd to me, and I don't know if it seems odd to anybody else, but it seems odd that the number 16 team in the country who is in first place in the Big 12 and has won four games in a row is a road underdog, three and a half points against, you know, a three and two unranked team coming off a loss to a very bad Texas Tech team. Um, you know, and the the advanced analytics would tell you that Kansas State is definitely not the 16th best team in the country, and I would 100% agree with that. Um, that win over Oklahoma was good, but that's really um, kind of all that they've put together. Um, but I just think, and Ed was kind of talking about this, but I think that West Virginia is still one, if not two years away. Um, you know, Neil Brown is putting – He's trying to put square pegs and round holes. Uh, Dana Holgerson had had set West Virginia up to be a very just, we're going to score 50 and give up 45 kind of team. And Neil Brown is like, wants the opposite of that. Um, so it's no coincidence that West Virginia's defense has improved because Neil Brown is much more oriented to implement that. Um, but that said, it takes time to really kind of um, – set your program in a different direction. And I think Kansas state here having them as a three and a half point underdog, I think having them even lose by a field goal is pretty, it, that seems like the most logical option to me. Yeah. And you talked about some advanced analytics, uh, sharp college football actually has Kansas state as a point favorite on the road. So, you know, I do agree that Kansas state's number 16 ranking is a bit inflated. And I talked about it with Iowa state last week, um, which was a really bad beat for the locks of Saturday crew, uh, that three and a half, that half point will get you. Um, you know, I agree that they're probably not the 16th best team in the country. And I think their ranking is a bit inflated because of the Oklahoma game, but what they're doing is, uh, look, they had a, a bunch of penalties and uncharacteristic mistakes against Arkansas state, a good Arkansas state team to start the season. And since then they have been playing really, really good football. Skylar Thompson, who has been the Kansas state quarterback since I was in like elementary school. Uh, he has 626 yards, which is not too much, but four touchdowns, zero interceptions, 63% completion percentage. Uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You'll take that considering that he's played four in conference games. And I think Kansas state has a little something going this year that not a lot of people are talking about. Robert, you talked about how they were first place in the Big 12. Uh, they could win the Big 12. Like, it, it's very reasonable to say, oh, you know, Texas is going to slip up again somewhere and uh, Oklahoma State might slip up again. Like, Kansas State could be a one-loss conference champion at the end of this year, and Skylar Thompson's going to be a, a big part of it. Uh, Chris, what do you have for this matchup? Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about kind of the direction that Neil Brown's got West Virginia heading. I think some focus needs to be on, I'm going to try to see if I can pronounce the last name, Chris Kleiman, Kleiman, Kleiman. Uh, you know, we've had kind of so much coaching moves within the last two years. It's kind of tough to track who came from where. And then you realize that, oh, yeah, this is the coach that coached the North Dakota State uh, four out of five uh, FCS championship titles. So he's a pretty good coach. He's going to have them ready to play. So already within the first roughly year that he's been uh, in charge of the Wildcats, they're five and one on the road as a road underdog. So 
preparation, especially in this time frame, uh, kind of during the, the COVID protocols and a lot of unknowns, is key to winning a tough road matchup. And if I get an extra half point in what will probably be a close game with some tough defensive play, I'm just going to play the value and take that extra half point because I do feel like, um, like you said, Kansas State probably has the metrics to support them winning this game on the road as a one-point favorite. So with three and a half, that's a tremendous value. Yeah, Brett, what do you have for this one? More of the same? Yeah, pretty much. I'm just echoing everybody else here. But nobody's really mentioned that. I can't stand West Virginia, and I've never been able to, so I just can't pull for them in anything. So I'm going to go with the Wildcats here. I'm pumped for the Virginia Tech-West Virginia rivalry to be officially back next year. I think it's good for both programs, and it's good for people in the area. Um, I think it would only bolster both programs. And I think West Virginia needs it a little bit more than Virginia Tech right now in terms of the non-conference, but looks like it'll be two good teams squaring off to start up next season. Um, that game is in Morgantown, I believe. So let's see if any Hokies make the trip to the lovely confines of Morgantown, West Virginia. All um, right, so rounding out our non-Virginia Tech picks, we have LSU minus three at Auburn. Now, guys, if I talked to you at the beginning of the season and I said LSU at Auburn, what do you think the two teams would have been ranked? This has to be a, a top 10 matchup. I actually kind of saw the whole LSU dud coming just because of how much talent they lost, but I didn't think Auburn would be this disappointing. Yeah, I've said Bo Nix was overrated. He had one good game against Oregon, and ever since then he's been average. And I think it's I think the country is realizing that he's not it. So I think that's why LSU's probably getting the points here. Yeah, and I think it's also, uh, again, has to do with Auburn not having that home crowd like they're really used to and not being able to use that home field advantage. Uh, I have LSU minus three here, and it's simply because I'm so disappointed with Auburn. They're a much better football team than they've played this year. We talked last week about Gus Malzahn being on the hot seat. I think he is uh, really, really on the hot seat now. Uh, he might be done at Auburn, finally, but he might be done. Bo Nix just ain't the guy for Auburn right now. It feels like that program needs a really, really talented athletic quarterback in order to be successful, and they just don't have that in Bo Nix. Uh, he's not getting the job done. I think LSU is going to start to figure this thing out as the season goes along. They have a lot of young guys playing, have a lot of guys playing for the first time maybe. Look, it wasn't going to be perfect for them. Robert, you said it, you know, you could kind of see this team not being a national title contender. But every week, they start to get a little bit better, a little bit more gelled together. I think it you know, really starts to peak for them this week. I think they can win this by a couple touchdowns. Ed, you have LSU minus three as well. Yeah, this might be the final nail in the coffin for Gus Malzahn. He's probably out of there after this one because I think LSU's going to be able to um, continue their upward trend and figure things out with TJ Finley at quarterback. Uh, LSU also has a solid defense, uh, particularly against the run. Um, and that's kind of been, you know, one of Auburn's bright spots so far this year has been Tank Bigsby, the running back. And I just don't think he'll be able to carry them to victory. And Bonix just hasn't proven that he can do much of anything in terms of, you know, lifting this team up when they need it. So, um, yeah, Gus Malzahn, hot seat, might be done for him. Uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll hire Luke Fickle, who we talked about earlier. But uh, 
I like LSU minus three, even in Auburn, which, yeah, that's hard. That's weird to think about considering what, you know, the expectations coming into the season. So we'll have to do an off season locks of Saturday podcast with the odds for the coaching carousel, because I think that's one that definitely could happen. Luke fickle to Auburn, Robert and Chris, you guys both have the Auburn tigers beating the Louisiana state tigers, uh, at home. I think this is a game where, and I'm not usually a person that likes to bet on motivation and what each team is playing for, but this is just a game that screams motivation. So you have LSU coming off the, the mirror, like just the dream season, you know, a, a, a perfect run ran the most prolific offense, I believe in college football history. And then they turn over pretty much their entire roster to the NFL, most of it coming from the offensive side of the ball. And that's the crazy part, which is they're still fielding a top 10-ish offense with essentially an entire turnover of their offensive staff. I believe last week, even when the uh, Brandon Kidd went down, the next guy came up and just looked amazing in his play. So that's just uh, a nice problem to have for LSU. But it also tells you that given their record and uh, where they're at right now, um, the defense is that bad. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, you have Auburn. Um, we've kind of beat the dead horse a little bit. Gus Miles on. He's on the hot seat. You know, he's he's done well enough. He's eight and two, performing as a home underdog against the spread. And this is the kitchen sink game. You know, if they don't win this game, they move to I believe five hundred. They got a couple kind of uh, easier matchups before the inevitable Iron Bowl, and I believe the last game of the season versus Texas A and M. So they're looking at a five hundred season. Uh, and his firing if they don't win this game and you just you've combined all those together and give me Auburn the three points it just makes sense uh can you when you just consider the uh the um just the motivations between each team Robert you have Auburn as well yes I do um you know LSU looked a lot better um this past week against South Carolina you know, they made a quarterback change and it was due to injury, but they made a quarterback change from Miles Brennan to um, TJ Finley and Finley looked, you know, the offense just seemed to flow better under Finley. Um, but the thing is, is I think if you look at how LSU has, you know, perf- underperformed leading up to that game, the problem really wasn't with Miles Brennan. You know, Miles Brennan has performed statistically like pretty well, you know, 11 touchdowns and only three interceptions. Um, and I, I think that LSU's problems go far beyond, you know, Joe Burrow not being there anymore. Um, they still can't run the ball and they definitely still can't defend the pass. Um, they're giving up 344 passing yards per game. And honestly, this has Bo Nix hype train recalibration written all over it. Um, Bo Nix, He's not a good quarterback, like I'll just say it, but he really does well against bad defenses. And LSU has all the makings of um, just letting Bo Nix prove nothing but look better than he actually is. And, um, you know, LSU does have five picks in four games. So, you know, there's a chance Bo Picks could, could show up to this game as well. Um, but I just don't see it happening. I think this is a big game for Bo Nix, and um, he continues to get national hype that he doesn't deserve. And Gus Malzahn 
just keeps on trucking along for a little while longer until his inevitable firing. Hey, just collect that paycheck. I don't don't hate the hustle, Robert. Don't hate the hustle. All right. So we are going to go ahead and move on to the main event, a game that I think a lot of Hokie fans were hoping would signal a ACC championship run for the Hokies. Uh, looks pretty unlikely now. There's a lot of season left to be played, but with two conference losses and assuming Clemson will run the table, doesn't look great for the Hokies' chance to get to Charlotte, but still a lot to play for. And Virginia Tech is favored minus three and a half at Louisville. Uh, and I think the sentiment from Hokie Nation and guys, you can you know tell me if I'm wrong or back me up if I'm right. It's is kind of you have to put that game behind you. There's one Virginia Tech game, sometimes two, every year where it just seems like the team doesn't show up. Like they're just mentally not there. They're physically slow. Offense looks lethargic. Defense looks uninspired. Um, and, and you know, I think that was last week. The team looked tired. They looked slow. I don't think I've ever seen a Virginia Tech defense look that slow on a football field. Um, so yeah, I think the the sentiment is just take that game and push it behind you. Ed, that's kind of what you have in your pick on the article on SonsOfSaturday.com. You have Virginia Tech minus three and a half saying you just got to put that game behind you and focus on this one. Yeah, I just throw it in the same pile. Like I said in the article, same pile as ODU and Duke from last year. Um, this game looks like it's going to be a shootout. Both teams have pretty high-scoring offenses, or at least they're supposed to, um, depending on which Virginia Tech offense decides to show up. But um, on that note, I like Virginia Tech's defense way more than Louisville's. Um, if we can you know, slow them down even a little bit and our offense returns to form, we should be able to get out of there with a win and cover the three-and-a-half. And, a half. and uh, my prediction in the article is also we're going to see a Trey Turner breakout because you feel like it has to come eventually. And um, – Louisville is kind of one of those defenses that people can kind of get right against. So I'm looking forward to hopefully watching Trey with a couple big plays and putting up some solid numbers um, I've been in his calling breakout the, game. Yeah, I've been calling for the Trey Turner breakout game for like three weeks now, and it hasn't happened yet. And uh, he got a couple more receptions last week. Uh, so we'll see what the passing game looks like. But it looked abysmal last week. It looked it looked like a high school offense where all they could do is run two or three plays, and if it was a passing play, it was either a screen or a deep ball. Uh, Brett, you have Virginia Tech minus three and a half as well, and I think you're thinking the same way as Ed, that Virginia Tech will end up just scoring the ball at will and controlling the clock. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about this team. I just I don't know what to expect. I mean, I think that I can speak for the fan base in saying that we're getting tired of these games every season that you know we just drop the ball out of nowhere pretty much. But, however, in the, we have responded well after those games where we've dropped the ball, and I think this is going to be in the same frame as those. Um, obviously, Louisville has some crazy athletes under both Cunningham at Watkins. I mean, they're freaks, and I don't know if the defense is going to – how much trouble they're going to get the defense. Could be a lot of the defense. Who knows, might be able to handle them. But I don't – I think the Hokies wake up again on offense this week and put up 40, and I think Herbert gets back on track again this week he just looked like he wasn't ready to make any decisions it is hard i think this week he really just goes all out just to prove himself again robert and chris you guys both have louisville plus three and a half in this game 
and I got to say, I'm a little bit shocked the line is still this low considering you're having a 3-2 and two Virginia Tech team who has an 11-point loss at North Carolina. Nothing wrong in that. And then loses by a touchdown at Wake. Yeah, it's not a great loss, but Wake Forest seems to be uh, you know, a little bit better than what people thought. So I'm a little surprised that it is only minus 3.5 for Virginia Tech. Uh, considering Louisville is also two and four, uh, not been a good season for them at all. What makes you think that Louisville can either win this game or keep it within a field goal? So I've had this game circled um, kind of as a possible letdown game for the Hokies, um, which last week turned out to be. But I've had this game really since watching the UNC game. Um, what really stood out for me um, in that UNC game was how Tech. Um, well, UNC's speed was really just such a mismatch for the Hokie defense. Um, and, you know, they were getting to the edge. Um, they stretch play, you know, Daz Newsome jet sweeps and Diami Brown sideline routes, like all these plays where their speed, they were just getting past the front seven for the Hokies. Um, and that is really what Louisville's offense is centered around as well. Um, you look at Cunningham, their quarterback, and then Hawkins, their running you know, in the group of receivers and their other receivers, like those are all track star speed guys. Um, and, and I just think that this is kind of the, one of those offenses that tech will post to match up against um, the same way that they did against UNC and Sam, you even said like the Hokies looked really slow against Wake Forest. It was probably um, the slowest I've ever seen a tech defense. I, I think just in terms of physical speed, couldn't catch the guys from Wake Forest. It was bad. Right, right. And I think that um, Louisville creates even more of a matchup problem for the Hokies. And I also think that they were exposed on offense. Um, you know, it, you said it, Sam, again, like it looked like a high school offense where all we could do was run the ball and we couldn't really throw the ball efficiently. And Louisville does not have a great defense by any means. But if you look at their last two performances, which are two performances that I think, at least defensively, they will they would hang their hat on, um, giving up 12 points to Notre Dame and 16 to Florida State. Um, they were very much so don't break defense, where in both of those games, they gave up over 200 rushing yards. But again, they gave up such kind of the way that the Hokies were against Wake Forest was we put up a lot of run, rushing yards. Not as many as we were used to, but couldn't put it together, put the ball in the end zone. Um, and so I think Louisville will capitalize kind of on the same mistakes that Wake Forest did last week. And this will be a really tough matchup for the Hokies on both ends of the ball. Do you do you have Tech winning this one? Have you had to put a money line on it? I, um, I do. I, I don't feel 100% confident in that, but it's it's tough for me to pick the Hokies here. So you so you have Louisville. Yeah, I have to echo kind of the same thing, just, uh, just to kind of add on to that. It's just more of the performance of uh, this uh, tech roster mixed with just, yes, we come back, we perform well, but not necessarily against the, uh, against the spread. Um, so I just don't know if this is one of those ones where the line's probably right at three and a half, and it's either going to be either a, or the better team. Satterfield it has 
seemingly righted the ship a little bit. They were looking really rough. In fact, I was one of the earliest people on the Louisville hype train and then the earliest person to jump off that train as quickly as possible, um, just based off of how they started the season. But uh, Irby was right. The last two games kind of seemed like this was the Louisville program that we expected to start off the season. So maybe they just got started slow. No, um, but going into this game, it just feels like it's going to be really close. I do expect a tech victory, but I have to take Louisville on the points that extra half point I've been taking in most of my other matchups and what I think is going to be a close, close matchup based off of tech's ability to have explosive plays and score. And I do think they will be able to do that, especially in the run game and Louisville's ability to just sustain efficient drives, get chunk plays, use their athletes, uh, basically outperform a lot of the kind of deficiencies we have in our front seven. And I think that's just going to be the difference of the game of we'll probably have more explosive plays than they will. It'll lead us to kind of getting a slight edge in the victory in the game. Yeah, guys. And I don't think this is a game that, any tech fan feels super confident in. And for the reasons that, you know, Robert and Chris just highlighted, uh, Louisville has the team speed and that, you know, perimeter to perimeter type offense that has given Virginia tech fits recently. And I think there is a lot to this defense, especially a defense that's had to throw in some young and inexperienced guys trying to learn a new system of defense and not really having the practice time or the time with the coach even when they are in practice to get it down pat. I do, however, have Virginia Tech minus three and a half, and here's why. We've talked about it a bit, but Justin Fuente, coach teams at Virginia Tech after a loss, are now 13 and five outright. I think you can point to this Virginia Tech coaching staff under Justin Fuente, and you can point to a lot of things that say, like, this needs to be done better. This needs to be done better. But the one thing you have to be really proud of as a tech fan is how this program has bounced back in recent memory after losses. Some of those losses, including the Duke loss and the old dominion loss, Syracuse loss, and you know, loss last week was not pretty really, really bad losses. A lot of programs would have just folded, but it seems like Virginia tech bounces back every single time. And I think this is a bounce back game. And I said on the last podcast, I think they have a better chance of, putting together that, wow, Virginia Tech just blew them out performance against Louisville than Wake Forest. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is a better tackling team on the edge this season than they are interior. I, I don't think Dax and Ashby uh, and you know some of the defensive tackles have been playing up to their standard this year. So I think uh, that kind of plays into the hands of Virginia Tech. And I also cannot imagine Hendon Hooker playing that poorly again. Uh, he had a QBR of 49.7. It was the worst in his career. Uh, he didn't look comfortable all day. Wide receivers were getting no separation. And I think when that wasn't happening, he was just taking off and running. And then parts of towards the end of the game, uh, when Virginia Tech kind of needed touchdown or you know they needed a third and long and not third and short, he felt like he kind of had to fit in some tight windows that just weren't there. Uh, two of the interceptions were, you know, one of them, he's trying to push the ball downfield at the very tail end of a game to give, you know, the team any sort of chance at a Hail Mary. And then there was one tipped ball intercepted in the back of the end zone. So uh, I don't think it was as bad of a performance as it felt like on Saturday from Hendon Hooker. Um, I, I think he just 
was never really put in a good situation to be successful with his skill level. I think he will this week. Louisville, not a very good defense. They have not been a good defense all year. They have held some teams to lower point totals, but that Notre Dame game was so, so ugly. And Florida State, who knows if Florida State's good or not? I have no idea. They One week, they're crushing UNC, and the next week, they look terrible against Louisville. So I, I trust Virginia Tech to win the bounce-back game more than I trust Louisville to uh, perform well against this Virginia Tech team that's going to try to run the ball first. They're probably going to run 70% of the time. Um, I, I just have the Hokies here. I feel more confident than I even did last week. Yeah, Sam, going back to what you said about Hooker, you know, he wasn't, he was just running the ball after nobody was open. I think he was a little impatient last week. I mean, that was on that third on that third interception we gave, we gave to Nick Anderson. I mean, I think if Hooker held on to the ball for another three, two or three seconds, I mean, Anderson was just facing the quarterback. He wasn't even worried about what Mitchell was doing down the seam. And I think that would have been a touchdown. And also, I mean, he, I think he was just tired. I mean, every time he was running the ball, I mean, he was just exhausted towards the end of the game. And it was pretty evident in his throws. He was throwing off his back foot. He just, it just, well, he just had a bad game. And I'm going to be honest, I think that was his only bad game of his career. And people that are calling for his head are insane. Uh, I just, I don't get that. I don't get why they don't think he's our guy. He had one bad game. Yeah, he made some. He made a couple bad plays against UVA last year in important spots, but overall, he's been our guy, and we should stick with him. Yeah, do you guys think that there is something to be said for this Virginia Tech passing game, where it, it seems kind of, and I, I keep using this, and I don't mean it to be super demeaning, but it looks like a high school offense, and sometimes like they are not capable of drop back passing, running a pass skeleton deep out routes, flag routes, putting someone deep down the seam. Everything seems very elementary in the pass game. Uh, do you guys think that is a, a big problem for Virginia Tech moving forward this season? Because I don't really know if that's something that you can fix uh, over a week. I think you're missing the, uh, the, the impact that Hazleton had you know, in our offense that we had last year, just that big body possession receiver can go up, get jump balls, defeat people, you know, kind of at the point of the catch that we don't really have this year. You know, we have some weapons and James Mitchell is obviously one of our big body pass catchers, but he's in the tight end position. He's doing different things in the scheme. He's not necessarily stretching the field down the field against defensive backs, which is always going to be a huge mismatch. So um, I I don't want to blame the entire inefficiency of the pass game on one person's departure, but it does make a difference when you see him not on the field and what we're not able to do consistently. And that's the big thing. It's, it's the inconsistent um, capability of the offense to, to hit that kind of 50, 50 ball on a routine basis to extend drives. And that's kind of led to a lot of three and outs or, you know, we'll have a little bit of momentum and then it'll just sputter out kind of in the uh, kind of around midfield. But um, I, I would be remiss to say that we're not desperately missing Hazleton at, and at the wide receiver position this year. Yeah, but I think that also goes hand in hand with what Sam was saying. Like, if we're relying on 50 50 balls as our passing attack, which we have with guys like Hazleton and Isaiah Ford, like, if that's our passing attack, then that's kind of what Sam was saying. It's incredibly inefficient. You can't just rely on constant jump balls. You need to be able to run a route tree, you know, have some sort of middle of the field attack. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that we have guys like Tavion Robinson and Raheem Blackshear 
who, you know, in a traditional sense are slot receivers who should be able to get open across the middle. And we just don't have that. Um, if the entire passing attack is 50, 50 fade routes to Trey Turner, James Mitchell and the past day, Hazleton, that kind of is the problem. It's, it's rearing its head this year when we don't have a guy like Hazleton who could just beat everybody with physicality on the passing attack. And I think it's not really just Hendon's fault. It's, it's scheme. It's the quarterback and it's the receivers. It's all of it. And I think honestly, I'd probably put most of it on scheme. I just don't think we're scheming up to get open in spots where they can take off and run like rain black shirt, which we saw so much of his in his highlights at Rutgers, like catching the ball, in the backfield and then making people miss. And I just had the ball that. So yeah, if the whole passing attack is 50, 50 fade routes, then it's we're in for a long season. I think you, br- you bring up a good point um, about the scheme as well. And, you know, and not just Damon Hazleton that we're missing either, but Dalton Keene too. I mean, cause who was a, a bigger safety blanket than Dalton Keene 12 yards in the middle of the field. You know what I mean? Um, but again, I don't know if it's, if it, if it is scheme or if it's Hendon or receivers not being able to get separation, you know, we've kind of heard people touch on all three of those issues and it could be some combination of the three. Um, looking at the, the scheme, I mean, even James Mitchell's touchdown, that touchdown was more of a result of the play call because it was, you know, kind of a, a gadget play if you hand and rolling to the right and everything, you know, movement on the offense that that cleared up the path for Mitchell to get open. It wasn't just your typical drop back. And it takes plays like that for us to get receivers open. Like it has to be these little gadget plays or faking a jet sweep or, you know, it, it there's just no ability to just drop back and run, like you said, a route tree and you know, and maybe part of that is on Hendon as well of just not going through his progressions and being too um, quick to tuck it and go. Um, again, I really don't know what it is. I think it could be some combination of all of it, uh, but regardless, it's not what it needs to be right now. And it really hasn't been since Gerard was out there. Yeah, good points, everyone. And I have not one, but two Virginia Tech specific prop bets for you. And speaking of prop bets, and over-unders, we are missing uh, Ryan and Mike tonight, but their stuff is on the article on SonsOfSaturday.com, Locks of Saturday, Week 9, is up on SonsOfSaturday.com, and I have two prop bets for you. Keeping in the theme with the offense, last week we had Hendon Hooker over under 19 and a half attempts. He beat that 19 and a half attempts, I believe he had uh, in the mid-20s. Um, so that was uh, a definite win for the over, guys. And I believe Ryan was the only guy who went over with me on that one. So uh, shout out to Ryan Hartman. This week, Virginia Tech over under 200 yards passing against a not great Louisville defense. Over. Ed's got over. Under. Oh, Robert's got under. Yeah, so neither Ian Book nor, uh, is it Jordan Travis? Is that the Florida State quarterback's name? Sure, you could have said anything. I would have said yes. Okay, well, well, neither of them even sniffed 200 yards against Louisville in the last two weeks. Ian Book only had 100 yards passing. I'll uh, stick with the trend. Yeah, I'm going to go under two. I think we're going to uh, get back to the run game. I think we were a little bit forceful last week. I think Wade coached a great game. Like I said, every week, Dave Clawson is one of the best coaches in the ACC. 
and he called a great game. But I think we kind of tried to get away from our game a little bit last week, and I think that cost us a lot. So I think this week we're going to get back to scheming the ball, especially to getting Herbert the ball in Herbert's hands. I think we'll see almost 200, but I don't think it'll quite get there. I think Hooker's going to go back to like the 11, 12 attempts a game, but more efficient, and you're going to see Herbert with 150-plus yards. I agree. It's going to be not necessarily because of the the miscues in the past game. It's just going to be this is primed to just our rushing attack uh, is just primed to have just that type of game where you won't need it as much. So I, I wouldn't want to see us stressing to pass the ball when this is just a perfect matchup for how we can have Herbert and Blackshear and even Hooker, you know, just running free all day. All right, guys, I have the over, but slightly. I think you do see Hendon Hooker come back in this game a bit. Um, you know, it talked about not only the program bouncing back, but individual position groups sometimes need to bounce back and play better. It seems like the focus of practice this week has been on that wide receiver court getting separation. Uh, I, I think they do this week, and I think you see some big passes downfield as well that are opened up by Khalil Herbert in that running game. And my second prop bet, and I think is a little bit even more concerning for Virginia Tech, playing this Louisville offense that loves to run the ball on that read option movement. Rayshard Ashby and Dax Hollyfield together are averaging 12 tackles a game through the first five games. Together. Uh, Dax Hollyfield was kind of benched last week. And rightfully so. I mean, he has not been the player that we've kind of come to expect him to be. So with that, I ask over under 12 and a half tackles combined for Rayshard Ashby and Dax Hollifield. 12 and a half. Rayshard oh, Ashby pretty much averaged like 10 tackles a game last year. I'm going to go under just for the sole fact. I think Tisdale is going to play again to help cover the athletes. Um, that Louisville has he's just he's more in tune for that kind of offense he's just can stretch the field and I think Amari Barno is also going to be in the backfield a lot and he's going to be able to stretch the field as well yes so I I don't think it's going to be because that they're not playing well I think it's just because I don't think you're going to see Dax a lot I think you're going to see Ashby more as you know the I guess central guy he's just going to be trying to stop stuff coming up the middle but you're going to see tisdale i think flying over the field tramar connor flying over the field and as we've already seen amari barno is becoming a star before our eyes and i think barno needs to play almost he, every snap and, and until if, he drops dead yeah he's going I, I would hope he's going to yeah i i agree and mostly just because we just haven't seen dax be able to consistently tackle and especially in a game like this where I don't expect our front seven to be the difference maker. I think it's going to be more in the secondary specifically with Diablo and company of being kind of the run enforcers to help stop uh, the Louisville rushing attack. So I would actually probably say that um, Ashby will probably kind of continue that like nine, 10 tackles. I just, I can't see the, uh, the additional three or four um, from, from Dak. So uh, give me the under on that one. Yeah, again, it comes down to speed, and Dax and Ashby are probably two of our slower linebackers, if not our slowest. So, I mean, I, this game doesn't really fit their playing style very much, so Tisdale will be in there a lot. Heck, we may even see Keyshawn Artis in there. I don't know, but we'll see. 
Agreed. Under. Guys, I got the under two, and I never thought that I would ask that question at this late in the season. It, it just they have not had the production from the linebacker position. Whether that's getting to the new scheme, whether that's you know the fitness of these guys with all the COVID, with all of the you know mispractice. Um, you know, it just doesn't seem like this linebacker core outside of Chamari Connor, who, who is having a, a really good season outside of that UNC game. Uh, you know, it, they just seem slow. They're just physically slower than the other team, which is an issue when your job is to run after the other team and tackle them. Uh, it, it just hasn't been those nasty Virginia Tech linebackers that people really wanted to see out of these two guys. I and mean, people were saying Xavier, DB, and Vince Hall type stuff. Uh, that's not what we're getting from them. They're, they're not that electric factory in the middle of the defense right now. So definitely something to look at. Virginia Tech tackling versus these really talented athletes from Louisville. Can Virginia Tech continue to play well offensively and bounce back from a really disappointing game at Wake Forest? I think they can. I hope they can. Uh, either way, it should be a really fun game. Four o'clock on ACC Network on Halloween night. And guys, I'm pumped up for the game because I, I, I want a good bounce back game here. I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I'm excited to hand out all the spurtles that I've purchased over the last few weeks for Halloween this year. It's going to be a great time. A lot of excited kids' faces. Wear a mask. I'm actually uh, dressing up as a spurtle, so that'll be <laughs> really fun. Yeah, what's everyone's uh, Halloween costume? We'll end it with that. And then we'll take predictions on what we... Oh, has Tech come out with their uniform for the game yet? That'll be tomorrow, I believe. Prime right? opportunity to wear all orange, and they're not going to take it. A prime for the, for opportunity. the love of God, please don't. Or go I actually all think all orange would be sweet. No. All, all orange head to toe. <laughs> Let's no. get all after orange it. versus Louisville's all black on Halloween night is iconic. It's full-on pumpkin mode. Just yes. a bunch of pumpkins out there. While the while the aesthetic would be awesome, I think we go all white. I think we just I think I think we just do that just because we're playing all black. The aesthetic of all orange would be neat, but for my superstition, I really hope we don't do that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, let's hope whatever they're wearing that they come out and play a good football game. We should have a really good slate of games on Halloween night. So you know, grab your Halloween candy, dress up in your costume, even though you can't really go out and party like you want to, and uh, enjoy some great college football. And from the crew of Locks of Saturday, Saturday happy Halloween. And go Hokies. Go Hokies. <laughs>